Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Nadine Thornhill is a certified sex educator from Toronto, Ontario. As a sex educator myself, I will tell you that she is well-known in our world and deeply respected. She strives to be sex-positive, queer-positive, anti-oppressive, and pro-choice in her teaching ethic. She is often sought after by the media for her expertise, which you can find in today's parent, Huffington Post and Oprah Magazine. Nadine is the co-host for the web series, Everybody Curious, which is absolutely amazing and a wonderful teaching tool. Pretty much I'm a fangirl of hers because of the way she approaches sex education and the ease in which she's able to talk about it and meet people where they are at. Nadine, it's my pleasure to be speaking with you today and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And can I just say that I want to hire you to read my bio um, because that was just so lovely and calming. And it was like, you could, you could be one of those people on a meditation app. Really? Um, That's just so pleasant to listen to. So yeah, I want you to read my bio. And then when people come to my website, it'll just be your voice and they will immediately feel at ease. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I would love to do that for you. And it's hilarious to me because I actually grew, have grown up with a speech problem. And so wow. I had to go through speech for, you know, since the time I was in elementary school all the way through um, ninth grade. And oh, so, wow. Yeah. And so sometimes on my podcast, you hear me totally botch up words. And it's a game in my family for them to give me different words to say because I have a hard time enunciating and pronouncing words. So interesting. Now, how is how is it for you that your family have made this into a game? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's fine. We tease about it, but there's there's times where they'll make fun of my Michigan accent as well, where I'm just like, all right, okay, I know how I sound. Um, But it's all out of love. And we come um, they give me different tongue twisters. <laughs> so the fact that you've wanted me to read something, just that's just an honor, right? <laughs> For me. Well, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. Yes. Uh, so I had the pleasure of speaking with you before a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, you offer programs for other sex educators and things to coach them and to help them learn. And one of the things that I loved hearing about was how you became a sex educator, because I always find it fascinating how we get into this business. Yep. And part of it, you said it was being an actress while working in a sex toy store. Mm -hmm. So I am so curious, you know, what did you learn about sexuality from working there? Because I could imagine as someone, you know, who's working to become an actress and then stumbling into this job that your whole world kind of opened from that experience. It really, really did. Um, And just to be clear, I was not 
acting in the sex right <laughs> although that would have been really interesting and fun um you know that yes. was my day job and then my my uh, acting gigs were you know at night on the weekends on the side sort of thing <laughs> that um, is a good clarification right um but yeah it was it was this wonderful sex store called venus envy in uh ottawa ontario which is about um 400 kilometers from toronto where i live now it was uh owned and run by this uh, fabulous queer woman. Most of the staff were all, uh, you know, queer folk. And so I loved working there. And I really, I, I learned, I learned so many things because um, up until that point, all of my sex education, both, you know, my formal sex education in school and just what I picked up from being a human in society had been um, what I would call pretty basic and pretty standard and very limited. Um, and so I would say one of the biggest things that I learned working at that store, both working with customers and facilitating workshops and just having access to so many of the resources in that store, because we had this amazing um part of it was a bookstore and we had all of these incredible books is that I really got to see how diverse human sexuality was. And so, you know, I was certainly familiar on a certain level with, you know, the concept that there were people who were lesbians and people who were bisexual and people who were gay. Um, but I very much, perceived those sexual identities as just being sort of a counterpart to heterosexuality. So, you know, I was like, oh, okay. So all couples are the same and all relationships are the same. It's just sort of the gender of the people in those relationships that may be different. Um, because that's all I really knew were these models of heterosexuality, even though I myself am not heterosexual, I am queer, but I didn't realize that at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so being able to read about, work with, and be around people who were, who were queer, um, you know, some of whom were, you know, non-monogamous, some of whom were in, you know, committed relationships with more than one person, some of whom were, you know, in relationships that maybe looked a little more similar to mine, where it was, where it was a couple, um, and being able to have these really open conversations about, you know, how we felt, what we desired, where our boundaries were, um, what our relationship struggles were. I just got to see like, oh, okay, it's really different for different people, but it can still be functional and healthy and joyful and meaningful um, in the same way that I've always been told that heterosexual relationships um, will be, or in the same way that I've been told that, you know, being a cisgender human is like, you know, fulfilling and normal. And I nobody. you can't see me audience, but I'm putting normal in air quotes here because now I believe there's no such thing. And so that was really intriguing and exciting to me because I thought about all the ways in which I had never quite felt like my sexuality fit the lessons I had been given up until then. Mm -hmm. And how for such a long time I was like, okay, well, that either means that what I'm feeling is wrong or what I'm feeling needs to be sort of ignored or glossed over or adjusted so it fits this narrative I've been given of what normal, healthy, 
uh, moral, again, I'm doing the air quotes, sexuality should be, and then being able to be around other people and being able to being exposed to just different perspectives that were like, no, 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 that's a way of being a sexual human being. But there are a myriad of ways to be a sexual human being. And in fact, those sort of internal feelings and messages and thoughts you're having, those are valid um, and things you should be listening to and paying attention to because those will, those are the things that will help sort of guide you to a sexual experience that is actually joyful and fulfilling and meaningful and like feels good in, in his life for me. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> exciting. Uh, so that's really the biggest thing I learned in those, those early days was just, yeah, sexuality is different for different people and that can actually be okay. So then how, where did that take you then? Once you started to realize that and um, yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just gonna say, where did that, okay. then? how did you emerge from that? Yeah, because that was so affirming and exciting to me. And, you know, I, I was realizing that, hey, I'm not broken, I'm not damaged. Uh, you know, I didn't necessarily know entirely what it was I wanted, but just that. I was like, okay, I'm not broken and damaged. That's so exciting. And you know what that means? It means that other people aren't broken and damaged too. I'm going to tell everybody that they're not broken and damaged. I'm just going to tell them like stuff I'm learning. Uh, so that led to the creation of a blog. And in the early days of the blog, it was very unfocused, um, like my mind is sometimes. So I blogged about a lot of different things. But as often as not, I was blogging about things that I was learning at my job in the sex store. Um, And some of it was was very sort of pragmatic stuff like, hey, I, I learned interesting things about vibrators. Like here are all the materials that vibrators can be made out of. And here are like, you know, things that I would say to somebody who would come into the store and want to buy their first vibrator. Mm-hmm. And then some of it was a lot more abstract and and sort of theoretical and based on my thoughts and my interpretation of mm-hmm. what I was learning and this realization that yeah, sexuality is different for different people and that's okay. And, you know, a lot about me sort of blogging through my own thought process around that. And so, you know, like a lot of bloggers, it started off being like my readership was my partner, my mom, probably like two friends, Uh, (laughs) but it grew from there. And I, and I, the posts about sexuality, particularly sort of my internal thoughts and musings about sexuality those were the ones that would really get a lot of traction and I would get a lot of feedback. Um, and I would hear from other folks who would, you know, who would either be like, Oh, wow. You know, this is really helpful to me or I'm sort of grappling with these issues as well. And this just helped me articulate something that again, I instinctively felt. So I wanted to keep doing it. Um, like, if you tell me you like something I'm doing, I will not stop ever. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just kept writing more and more and more. And that led to my being invited to write um, like a sex advice column for a local publication in Ottawa. Um, That's I started in, it's yeah, like it sex really, in the city almost, right? <laughs> it was, yeah. I was like, ooh, I'm like the Ottawa Carrie Bradshaw, except, you know, black and not quite as neurotic or I think just differently neurotic honestly um (laughs) I was like I'm not in a like super dramatic relationship with a toxic dude um but my shoes are also not quite as fabulous so you know 
whatever. Or do you um, put clothes in the oven, right? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I had like a toddler and so it was a much less glamorous um, <laughs> off page life that I was leading as compared to Perry Bradshaw. And um, yeah, so I, and I, and I started, you know, what I was doing at my job started making its ways and its way into the plays that I was writing. And so I just sort of amongst my my circle of friends and acquaintances and within my community kind of became like the sex ed gal. Um, and I kind of loved that. And I was like, yeah, I'll be the sex ed gal. But I mean, at that point I was still very, very much thinking of that as this is kind of my side gig. This is just a thing I mostly do for fun. Uh, it's kind of cool. Um, but it, it, I became more known for that than I was for my acting and theater. And I was really okay with that. Like I really mm -hmm. loved doing it. I loved talking about it. Um, I was never shy about it. You know, like I was, I talked to a lot of people and I spoken to a lot of people over the, over the years who have a very understandable concern about, Oh, but you know, like I have conservative relatives or people in my family who like think it's really weird that I talk about sex or that I want to talk about sex. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. And that never mattered to me personally. Like I was mm. like, I will talk. I, 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 my parents knew exactly what I did. I was like, mom, dad, I like work in this sex store and here are all these things I'm learning. I will admit it got a little bit weird when my mom came to one of my workshops. I was doing a workshop on like blowjobs or something. And my mom oh. was like, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to come and I'm going to sit in the front row and like put up my hand and ask questions. I was like, okay, you're being too supportive. Like, stop. <laughs> you're like, I'm um, okay if you don't come to these. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's okay. Okay. Um, but I mean, my father was always much more conservative about sex like we never talked about sex when I was growing up he had reasonably conservative values around sex and the same thing I was like I can't I just can't be contained I was like dad we're going to talk about this and and you know and same thing like he came around and, and he was again supportive sort of from a distance he was like okay I understand what you do uh don't want to come to any of your workshops was like, <laughs> that is like 100% okay um you know I would talk to my in-laws about it I would talk to like their friends about it uh you know when I was going through customs at the airport and I had to you know fill out my job description I was like I'm a sex educator uh I didn't like I was like it's fine I don't care like I'll talk to anybody about it mm -hmm. and so I should have really suspected at that time that this was going to turn into more than my side gig because I was just like my my passion and excitement could That's not insane. be contained I mean you're on fire you can tell yeah right? so since so you have been doing this then for around 15 years or so so then yeah what continues to surprise you about sex education I think what, and, and I'm not sure if surprise is exactly the word I would use, but what is fascinating to me and still excites me is that I learn new things all the time. Mm. Um, and at this point, the only reason I say I wouldn't use the word surprise is at this point, because I've doing, been doing it for so long, I have now accepted that this is just part of the gig, is that yeah. I will never come close to knowing everything there is to know about sexuality. I will never come close to 
being able to understand or unpack everything there is to do with human sexuality, which is good for me because um, I get bored really easily. And I like, um, I like new experiences. I love new information. I'm like, okay, if 15 years in, I'm like, wow, like literally every time I work with a client, every time I give a workshop, um, every time I'm training new sex educators, every time I have a conversation like the one we're having right now um, in a podcast, I'm like, something new comes up. I either hear something I've never heard before from the people that I'm speaking with or through that conversation, something new will occur to me in my head. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. I have to go down that rabbit hole. Um, it's just endlessly fascinating. That's I agree with you. hundred percent. That's what I tell people all the time is that I am constantly learning and I always feel like I'm behind. I don't know if you feel like that sometimes because it changes so often. And just because, you know, every time when I sit into a workshop or I do continuing ed, my thought process throughout the entire time are, is people is people are so creative. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. We're so creative. We are so multifaceted. We have so many different needs and different values and they show up in so many cool and wonderful and different ways. And, and so it's just amazing to me. And I think Everyone has to recognize, and one of the things I talk about too in workshops is that, you know, we're all experts in human sexuality in a different way, right? Or mm-hmm. within our mm-hmm. own sexuality. And so we're always learning from one another, right? That's, I mean, you're so, so right. And for a long time, I did have this anxiety and insecurity about oh my gosh, I'm so behind. Like, um, you know, every time it particularly when I was in learning mode, as opposed to teaching mode, when I would go to a conference or I'd mm-hmm. take a workshop and I would think, oh my gosh, why didn't I know that? Um, cause you know that there are those, those educators or those moments where someone says something that you've never heard before, but as soon as they say it, you're mm-hmm. like, that's so clear and obvious. And yes, why did I not think of that until yes. you said it in this yeah. moment? Um, but I've really tried to ch- change the way that I think about that and not think of it as I'm behind and really just embrace the fact that human sexuality is endlessly complex and fascinating. And there isn't time in one lifetime to know everything or to catch everything. And so what I've the way I've come to think of it is that, yes, I'm an educator, but part of being an educator means being in this perpetual state of learning. And if I ever got to the place where I was like, oh, I I knew that, I knew that, I knew that, I was on top of that, um, then like, what am I doing here? Then, you know, I've learned everything there is to learn. um, And then it means I've taught everything there is to talk, to teach. And that's never going to happen when you're talking about human beings. because human beings are constantly also switching. Like I think about the fact that we've all moved through this pandemic, Mm -hmm. um, which is an experience that we'd never had before. And of course that's going to impact our humanity and the way that we relate to ourselves and each other. And so that's going to inevitably have an effect on our sexuality. And that effect is going to be different for every single person. And there's like 7.8 billion of us. So it's like, how could I possibly know everything? 
you know, yeah. just this one event that's been, you know, a year and a half, and we're not out of it yet, um, has created all of this new information and all of these new experiences that I'm like, I'll never know about all of them. I never will. Um, so I'm like, so it's okay. It's okay that I, there are always things that I don't know. And I don't want to, you know, get down on myself about it. <laughs> no, that's great. I also think like, I love, again, the emphasis on the fact that the human sexuality is just so big. Mm-hmm. And I think about how oftentimes that scares people. Yeah. And that then they are very unwilling to go to those uh, places to learn or to accept the fact that we're not always going to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, we have that tendency to then put things in these small little boxes and different things yeah. like that. And so, you know, as educators, we strive for sex positivity, which people um, are still kind of learning more about what that yeah. means. So in order to help people get to this place where we can guide them through these, you know, roadmaps of it's okay to not know the directions or, you know what I mean? Like it's okay for us not to know anything or everything. So what do you think needs to change for us to get there as a whole society? To a place of sex positivity. Um, So I love the way that you led into that and frame that question because I do think that at least a piece of it is understanding that a lot of us do have fear around sexuality and a lot of that fear, um, you know, is, is generational and it's inherited. Um, you know, we, a lot of us were raised by people who didn't have a lot of sex ed themselves. And so they did the best they could. Um, But they were also raised by people who may have had even less information around sexuality. Um, And sexuality is something that has been framed as highly negative historically Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of us in, in a lot of different cultures and in a lot of different parts of the world. So first of all, I'm like, yeah. So when we feel fear, anxiety, uncertainty, Um, something I try to do for folks is just reassure them that like, that's very common and you don't have to beat yourself up because you're having, you might be having some of those feelings. Mm -hmm. I have those feelings sometimes, particularly when it has to do with people that I have a deep emotional investment in and I care about and love really deeply. So I'm thinking about, you know, particularly my kid, um, my parents, my partner, myself. Um, Sometimes, you know, thinking about sexuality can be deeply emotional and sometimes those emotions are really unpleasant and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But the next thing I tell people is understand that because you have these moments of discomfort and it may feel unpleasant, that does not in and of itself mean that the conversation you need to have or the information that someone is giving you about who they are is bad. Um, So I'll try to use a concrete example. So for example, if you're a parent and your child comes to you and tells you either directly or maybe, you know, they're younger and they can't express it very eloquently that, 
they don't connect to the gender they've been assigned at birth. Like it is totally understandable if that scares you. It is totally understandable if part of your mind starts to spiral out a little bit and starts thinking about, oh my gosh, what does this mean for my child? Are they going to be okay? Are they going to be harmed? What did I do? This is terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I will try to encourage people to, to key into is like, take some breaths because the fact that your brain is telling you that doesn't make it true. The fact that you feel that way doesn't make it true. And you don't have to figure out everything about your child's life in this moment. In this moment, who you have a person in front of you who is relying on you, who needs you to love them. And it's never going to be wrong for you to love them. Hmm. So tell them that Mm -hmm. and then try to listen to them. And then as much as you can, try to go with what they're telling you about who they are and accept that person because, and then that's where my, my sex educator uh, knowledge can kick in. Cause I, and then I can, you know, pull out statistics and information and research and say, you know, if you want me to tell you what is, what you can do to increase the likelihood that your kid's going to be okay. Like it's loving them. It's accepting them. And it's making space for them to be whoever they are. And then they'll get questions like, you know, sort of, again, more practical concerns like, okay, but what names do I use? And what pronouns do I use? And how do I know that this is going to be forever? And, and, and And I'm like, you don't have to understand all of that right now. You just have to listen to them. It's okay if they want to change their name for now and they want you to call them one name and then maybe down the line, they will want to use a different name. It is okay if they want to use certain pronouns today and then down the line, you may have to adjust a little bit. And it's also okay if you don't get mm-hmm. all of that right now, you can learn over time, but deal with the person in front of you and deal with what's happening right now even if you don't fully understand it and you don't have all the answers, Mm -hmm. it's okay. You don't have to have all of the answers. You can learn. Um, And I mean, if it's someone I'm working with, I'm like, I can be one of the people who supports you in that learning and offers you resources and whatnot. But I'm like, ultimately, I'm like, yes, that specific aspect of their identity may be different or new to you. But I'm like, the reality is, as parents, I'm like, we don't know who our children are, you know, even if we even if we're like, oh, okay, they are fine and comfortable with the gender marker that happens to be on their birth certificate. And the specific words I use to refer to them in relation to their gender, they're, they're cool with it. But I'm like, you still don't know who your kid is. It's a process of discovery. Um, And so I'm like, yeah, if your kid comes to you and says, hey, you know, my gender is different or, hey, this is my, you know, romantic or sexual orientation and it's not what you were expecting. um, Yeah, that's new information, but all kids throw new information at their parents. Um, And I can say, you know, having been a parent for less time than I've been a sex educator, but not a lot, lot less time. I'm like, I'm constantly learning things about my kid that I'm like, I did not see that coming. I did not plan that. Mm -hmm. I did not plant that seed. Okay. I got to deal with the human that I have. And sometimes that's hard. And sometimes I get in my feelings about a lot of time. I'm always in my feelings about my parenting. (laughs) Um, But yeah, 
you know, the, the longer I do this, the more I recognize like, okay, my feelings are not always an accurate indicator of what's actually happening for my kid. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's the biggest thing as parents, right. Is to, is to accept the fact that our kid is their own person. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's always this, I don't know how to say, there's always this thing with, um, growing up where you think that the child is going to be a representation of you in some way. Yeah. And so, you know, then we have all those emotions around it, but if we can just let that go and and be like, maybe what we really are trying to do is just create a caring person who's going to help the society in some way or another, be the best it can be and care for one another. Like that's the goal, you know, (laughs) how they do that. Right. And so Yeah, but I love too what you were saying in terms of it's okay if you don't understand it. It's okay if this feels really big and confusing right now. The point is is to support. And I remember I had some teachers talk to me about kids who were expressing different identities and things, and they were just saying, I don't think this is right for them, and I don't think this is who they are. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not your job. That's mm-hmm. not your job to decide that for them. Your job is to support them. And it's clear, you know, I said to them, it's clear that they already feel supported by you because they told you. They told you. Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and it's so, it, it really is hard. And I really do sympathize with parents out there because I think parenting is this constant balancing act between being supportive and giving them space to discover who they are, but also particularly when they're young. Um, but, you know, I think the entire time we're actively raising them also sort of trying to gauge, like, when do I step in mm-hmm. as an adult and say, okay, I really do think you need this because, you know, kids, and I mean, we do this as adults as well, as there's no one to, to, you know, step in and stop mm-hmm. us when we, when we make bad decisions, but kids will also act on impulse. They will make decisions that serve them in the short term without thinking about long-term consequences. And so sometimes part of our job is to kind of mitigate that. So, mm-hmm. you know, they don't die or break their bones or, you know, set things on fire, um, depending on who your right. child is, right? <laughs> you know, so so I understand why for a lot of parents, it's like, uh, you know, when is the moment that I that I sort of step back and let them take the lead and just say, like, I'm here as your backup, I've got you. And mm. when is the moment that I'm like, whoa, 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 <laughs> oh, the phone. Yeah. you know, there may be consequences to these choices that you're not aware of that could really like mess things up for you because there's also times where it's like it's like you know maybe you let them make the mistake and they deal with the consequences and that's part of how they learn and it's always like you never it's hard to know for sure in a lot of situations what you're supposed to do and inevitably we will make the wrong call mm-hmm. and that sucks mm-hmm. as parents. Like it sucks. Um, there are so many, so many examples I could uh, pull out from my own life, but I won't because I don't want to embarrass my kid, but also I a little bit don't want to embarrass myself where I'm like, 
I, I'll look back and I'm like, I made the wrong decision and, or I could have made a different decision and the outcome would have been so much better. Um, but I made a call in the moment and clearly my judgment was flawed. Um, so yeah. it's, it's just, it's tough. So my, you know, just all the love and sympathy in the world to those parents out oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we can just as parents recognize, uh, one, we need to have grace and for- forgiveness of ourselves mm-hmm. because hands down parenting is the hardest job in the world. <laughs> in yeah. My opinion. Um, oh, so much. oh God. Yeah. Right. And then two to recognize, I always say like when we talk about sexuality and when we start learning more about it with our kids, then it's time to kind of look at ours and to nurture our own and to learn about our own myths and expectations around sexuality and hurts and things. And I'm the first to say, I have gone back to therapy because I've recognized, you know, when my kids have gotten to a certain age and stuff, I was like, oh, this is bringing up a lot. <laughs> this is bringing up a Shame. lot for me. <laughs> I, like, um, I wish I could remember... <laughs> I wish I could remember who said it um, because I thought it was so bang on and I, I, I cannot remember for the life of me, but someone else said this to me that parenting is actually one of the most emotionally triggering relationships yeah. oh. that you can have. And oh I was like, gosh. yeah, yes. And parenting my own child brought up had, and continues to bring up so many things from my own childhood mm-hmm. when I can look at my kid and then I suddenly it allows me to kind of recontextualize who I was at those different ages and stages and think like, Oh my God, I was so young. And this is a thing that happened to me. And then I'm like, Oh, feelings. Okay. And back to therapy, I go. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And therapy is good and okay. And we encourage it for everyone. right? Yeah. Yeah. I wish more people had access to it because I know it can be expensive or difficult to get, but it's, it's yes. Yeah, it's so if you get the right therapist, it's so helpful. It is. That is the truth. So you do lots of different things yeah. and different ways of helping people. So what has been a favorite project of yours that you have worked on? Oh my God, don't make me choose. It's like trying know, to choose my really favorite right. kid. That's why I only <laughs> that's why I only have one kid. Because I'm like, I don't have to choose a favorite of my actual children. I only have the one. What is my f- oh gosh. I mean, so as you mentioned off the top, I have a training program that I developed for new and emerging sexuality educators to, you know, support them and give them guidance because a lot of people who want to do this work are kind of like, how do we do this? I don't know how. And I want there to be lots of amazing sex educators out in the world because we need them. Um, So I'm, I'm loving that. I love the web series that I get to work on. Everybody curious. It's this amazing marriage of my performance uh, theater background. Um, Even though the series is, I guess what you would deem as kind of a, it's not exactly a docu-series, but, um, you know, it's not a fictionalized series. It's not a story. It's, it's you know, real interactions, but we still sort of craft episodes and they have a structure. And so I love being able to do that sort of writing and creation and then also bring in my sex ed expertise. I love being able to work collaboratively with a team. So the director and the other executive producer and my co-host uh you know will spend there are a few months where we like 
sit in a room and have snacks and try to figure out, you know, what are the topics we want to talk about and how do we want to talk about them? And we get to uh, invent like games and activities. And then when we bring in the rest of the crew, these amazing creative people who totally, you know, believe in the project. Um, so people who are doing the art direction and the set build and like even the people who do like our food services and craft services and the PAs and everybody on set is just so excited and on board. And then there's the day where the kiddos come in and it's the best day. It's always the best. We, we film actually over a weekend and it's always the best weekend um, when the kids come so in. Much fun. <laughs> it's so, so much, much fun. fun. <laughs> I mean, by the end of the process, I'm always exhausted, but it's that really great exhaustion where you're just like, oh, I've just like, I've just used up all of my creative energy my emotional energy i i've just spent like days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks being like excited and kind of cranked up to 11 um and so when it's done i'm like i'm going to bed uh, for a few <laughs> days and then i'm gonna go on vacation um but it's just it's great and then um when i see the episodes it's always it's it's super exciting and really gratifying but there's always a part of me that's just like i wish these episodes were an hour because the conversations we have um, and the, the episodes are short on purpose um, and I understand why they need to be, but what you see in an episode is probably literally about 10% of what we filmed. Um, wow. It's kind of the highlights of the conversations. And what I really appreciate about our set um, and the way it's run is that the director and the executive producer and the camera people and everyone are game to just let us talk through whatever comes up for as long as we need to. Um, so we go real deep with those kids and the insights that they have, like they're funny and they're warm and they care and they're insightful and they're smart. They're just fabulous. They're absolutely fabulous. So when you talk with these kids, you know, I, people get so concerned and mm -hmm. nervous about when we enter into these real conversations about our bodies mm -hmm. and about relationships. So what do you see? Like how, what happens? I would say one physically to mm -hmm. the kids as you're talking to them. And then what happens to them from what you can tell emotionally after you're done filming these sessions? Because you know, some of the ones I've watched um, that you have done, I mean, you guys go pretty deep, you know, like mm -hmm. I saw these uh, kids who were, you know, maybe sixth graders or aged um, around sixth grade, you had them looking at condoms and being mm -hmm. able to touch and play with them and different things like that. So tell me then how do these kids respond to those things? So we get a lot of different responses and I'm, I, I love that you sort of flag the physical. Um, so part of the way we structured the episodes and, and a conversation that we have with them multiple times, usually before we start filming is however you feel like both emotionally, but also in your body is okay. So we're like, if we say something and you're like, it, you want to giggle, giggle. If you like want to be squirmy, be squirmy. Um, you know, if you're just feeling like cool as a cucumber and you're like, yeah, I got this. That's totally okay too. You know, it's, we want them to have those authentic reactions. And we also want to acknowledge that. So our, our students are between 
they're in grade four to seven. So we've got mm-hmm. the, our youngest are like nine and the oldest kids are about 12. Some of them are about to turn 13. So it's a real broad range in terms of age. And then when you factor in maturity level, which doesn't necessarily coincide with age, but might a little bit, like there's a big mm-hmm. range of reactions. So A, we want them to be sort of as physically free as they want to be to kind of express those emotions. And so again, we find like it runs the gamut. Usually by the end of the weekend or usually by even the end of the first day, the kids all are quite comfortable expressing themselves and letting us know and and being open in front of each other about how they're feeling, um, which is something we, we really try to foster. And we filmed two seasons so far. And what's happened in both seasons is that by the time we actually go to film, so the so I should say that we have, before we ever start filming, um, once the kids are sort of selected and chosen and we've put our, or we've cast our classroom, we have a full day with their parents and caring adults and the kids where we do activities and we have Q&A and we have time with just the adults and then there's time for the kids to go off and like get to know each other and and like we have all kinds of different activities some of them are very physical where they're running around Um, some of them are a little bit calmer where they might be doing things like drawing or writing or thinking we have time where we hang out with them and they can ask us anything they want about us about the process about the information we have like a long q a with the parents um we take them on like a set tour and they can like look at everything and touch everything this is amazing (laughs) like what a gift this is a huge gift that you are giving These parents and kids, like just to even be a part of this and then to have that experience, that's a human, just an enormous gift that you're giving. And it's not like to me, that also sounds like the best day in the world. (laughs) It is an absolute blast. And so by the time they come in for filming, they've met each other, they spent several hours with each other. And what's happened in both sets is those kids form such a bond with each other for the filming weekend. Like they've got each other's backs. They're friends with each other. Um, By the time we get to lunch on the first day, they're all sitting together. Um, We take, we don't let them have their devices on set, but they can have them at lunch if they want to. And they're, you know, they're like barely on their phones unless they're like exchanging you know, Mm. information so they can keep in touch with each other. Um, So that helps as well because it feels, I think they feel really safe to have those authentic reactions. And, you know, what we will also do is my co-host and I, because we're the two who have the most expertise around sex ed and sort of how to deliver the information. We're also always keeping an eye out for the kids and trying to just sort of make mental notes of, okay, does somebody seem bothered by something? Or Mm -hmm. if something comes up during filming and somebody expresses something where we're like, ooh, okay, we may need to deep dive into that a little more um, once we get our coverage, then we'll do that. And so we have taken breaks. Um, You know, we'll go to the director or go to the executive producer and be like, yeah, can you round up all the kids? We just want to kind of like chat with them for 20 minutes and unpack something that was said and give them more space off camera 
to have these conversations so we can kind of give them, you know, the support and the information that they need. Um, if something comes up that like, you know, like if we just notice like, oh, this kid seems like uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, you know, beyond just like, hee 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 giggly, we're talking about penises. I'm like, okay, let's, Mm. let's take a break um and so sometimes it's like a group debrief and sometimes it's you know one of us will you know approach the kid and sort of gently say like hey do you want to like just you know come chat with us I mean you know for a little bit and hang out and it's great that's how I feel like all sexual health should be right because we don't have the luxury of doing that in school classrooms necessarily right we come in we teach stuff we move out but when I've gotten to do retreats and things like that, I it's 100%, I think, the best ways of teaching because you are building a, a, a space where people can at least feel nourished or cared for, you know, and knowing that if something comes up, like you have said, then we're able to talk about that and we're able to dive deep because that's what we need, right? We need that those times where either we can be taken aside if we're being triggered or maybe something was scary mm-hmm. and we just need to talk about that. And I just, I mean, that would be the dream for me to think about creating all these times where we could just have these experiences you know, of a group coming together, getting to know each other, creating this sense of intimacy, which you've been doing and connection, which is what all of that is, to then know more about their bodies and their relationships. And that is like, oh, (laughs) it's amazing. I love it. Um, So cool. And that's part of why one of the other things I'm passionate about is providing support to to teachers, like not just sex educators, but the teachers who are in classrooms and have a group Mm -hmm. of students for, you know, nine, 10 months of the year, because I'm like, what you have that, as you mentioned, that like you and I don't have when we walk into a classroom as the sex ed person who's there for a couple of hours is like, you have that time to cultivate that relationship. And you also understand the the classroom dynamic. And so if I, as a sex educator, can give you some assistance in how to teach what you need to teach during your sex ed units, then you can take advantage of that relationship that you have with your students and your understanding of that little community that you have that I will never have when I waltz in for an afternoon um, and use that to do exactly what you said, to foster this environment where you have the time to nurture them, where you know the students so you can be like, oh, I know that kid, so something's up. Mm-hmm. let me let me let me give them some extra time and attention um and also how to you know really take advantage of the fact that those kids already have a relationship with each other and hopefully there's some trust and familiarity with each other and then you can like go in with the sex ed stuff um and make it something really special mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a great idea that's something that's so needed, right? And that's why I think more training again for professionals and things, because I've had <clears throat> some teachers who also get squirmish when you say anatomy and different things. And I have yeah, come yeah. to them and be like, we need to talk about this because this is something you can't show necessarily <laughs> like with the kids as I'm talking about these things. So 
that's great that you, you know, have been able to talk with teachers about that and help them through that process. So really quick, as our time is slowly coming to an end here, um, can you believe that? It went so fast. Um, I wa- First, I wanted to know from you, what are some of the things that people have said to you over the years in terms of, you know, you've taught in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You have this ability to meet people where they're at. So what are some of the things that you hear from them that continuously comes up after you've had these kind of conversations and experiences with them? Something that I hear fairly often from people is that they appreciate being given models or examples of how to talk about topics that seem incredibly um, like fraught and explicit to the point of being taboo in like a really casual everyday way. And honestly, that's a little bit of an accident. And it's interesting because it's something that I, I for a long time thought of as a flaw of mine. Um, so I have a doctorate and something that I've never been successful at doing is presenting information in this highly polished academic way. I can't talk like that. Um, and when I try, I forget what I'm saying. I have no connection to the material and it's terrible. Like I'm terrible at it, which for a long time pained me because there's nothing I love more than listening to someone who is well-versed in academic jargon and can speak eloquently, um, and intellectually about a subject like it, it a little bit turns me on. And I'm just like, Oh, my God, like, you're so (laughs) professorial, like, who are you? And, and so for a long time, I was like, I want to be that. And I can't do it. I cannot do it. And so to my surprise, my pleasant surprise, I've since learned that even after getting the doctorate and still not being able to talk like that, that that seems to be a thing that people really appreciate um, is that I can sort of take what to them feel like really high level concepts or things that are like, Oh my gosh, like I would have had no idea how to talk about this subject in just like a casual way. Like you would talk about having dinner and I'm like, yeah, I, I guess that's a skill, but also I'm like, literally that's the only mode I have. Um, it doesn't matter like if I'm here in a podcast or I'm lecturing at a university or I'm talking at a conference, this is what I sound like. I just talk like this about everything all the time. And so, yeah, a lot of people have said like, yeah, you just gave me an example of how to, you know, have a conversation with my teen about porn. And I, I had no idea how I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just made it sound so normal. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm a bit, I'm kind of basic. In that way, and I wouldn't say um, I wouldn't say basic, but what it is is you make things approachable, and that really is the gift, right? Because sex, we we like wrap all this like stuff around it, where we're like some for some people, it's like wrapped in barbed wire, and other people, mm. it's wrapped in bubble wrap, or you know, different things where it feels hard to get to. 
right? We feel hard to like unpack <laughs> and understand it. And so I think it's actually better when the language is simple because it's approachable and then people feel like they can do it. And that's the goal, right? Then they can like have those conversations uh, and that they can trust their instincts. And that's probably the tools you're giving them is like trust this instinct that's living inside of you. And, you know, like we we're better equipped than we give ourselves credit for, I think. Right. You're so bang on. Yeah. People are better equipped than they give themselves credit for, because I'm like, you don't need special equipment. Mm-hmm. Again, air quotes, you can't see to do this. You just need to show up as yourself and say what you need to say. Um, you know, something else people have said that they appreciate about me is they will often phrase it as, you're so real and you're very much yourself. And I'm like, thank you so much. That's such a kind way of saying that I am very comfortable showing up messy. Um, (laughs) So another thing that I will say to parents, because it's true of me too, is I'm like, you don't have to show up with all of the answers, cool, common, collected, totally comfortable being like, yeah, we're going to have this like beautiful conversation about, sexuality. Um, I'm like, you can show up nervous and anxious and say to your kid, like, okay, um, we haven't talked about this before. I'm not sure how this is going to go. I feel kind of like awkward about this and I'm sweating. Um, But it's like, I feel like it's important and we should try to chat about this. So let's like, we're just like five minutes. Let's just chat about this for five minutes, break the ice, see what happens. You can stumble over your words. You can be like, Oh my God, like, I don't even know what I'm saying. This is so weird. Do that. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Because to me, I'm like, the most important part is that you are having the conversation. You're trying what you you're trying. I'm like, what you say, it's not that it's secondary or unimportant, but what your kid is going to see is that this is important enough and meaningful enough that you're making the effort, even though you have damp pits and you're <laughs> stumbling over your words um, and you can barely look me in the eye. And also I'm like, you'll get better. Like, mm. um, it's like riding the bike, right? Like taking it's like the riding time. the bike. Yeah. There's this amazing um, Instagram creator. She's called um, Heb on the Web, and she just writes songs about life. And she's this great song that's uh, sucking at something is the first step at being kind of good at something. And that is also mm. true when it comes to having conversations with your family about sexuality. You might suck at it at first. That's fine. Um, and you might suck at it. Even if you are a sexuality educator with over 15 years of experience, sometimes I suck at having conversations with my kid, but I have them anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And you can do it. So it's fine. So that's another thing people say they appreciate. They're like, oh, you're so open about yourself. And I'm like, yeah, again, because I don't know any other way to be. I, I can't come in here all like polished and be like, yeah, I've got it all together because I don't. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's been fine. My kid's still alive. Everyone's still alive. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great because uh, like so often, one of the things I try to say too is uh, just because I teach it doesn't mean that I'm great at it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> when it's, it's your totally kid, it changes thing. things, right? Like I could talk it's, to your kids for days, but yeah. when it's my kid, it gets a little funny because it's personal, you know, like, it's just, I and it's a different context. Yeah. yeah. And when you, when you're going into a class or you're doing a workshop, you're completely prepared. You've decided on the mm. time and the date and you have slides and you have notes. You don't have any of that with your own kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. That's great. All right. So I would love to know what story in your life are you currently reframing? Okay. Um, I was really excited to answer this question. (laughs) So again, folks can't see me. So for those of you who can't see me and have never seen me, um, I am a black queer woman. And so what that means is that the story that I was given Um, And the story that sometimes people still continue to tell me is that because of all of those things, I have to earn my place in this world. I have to show and prove to people that I'm worthy by, you know, I have to prove to them that I'm smart enough. I have to prove to them um, that I'm kind enough. I have to prove to them that I'm capable enough. And so for such a long time, I internalized that story. And that's what I told myself is that I have to earn my worth in this world. And the story that I'm currently, and that's the story that I am currently working on reframing. Mm -hmm. Um, And the new story that I am working on and writing is the one where Nadine was born worthy and I don't have to prove anything to anyone that I am good enough. I am I, I like I don't even believe in that anymore, the concept like being good enough. What does that even mean? Mm-hmm. I'm a human being on this earth. I I earned my place when I was born and my place is mine. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really and in reframing that story in my work, in my parenting, in my friendships, in my relationships, I'm really working on not trying to prove to people that I deserve to be here, but working from a place of inherent worth, meaning like I am inherently worthy. I was always worthy and I'm just going to do my thing. Hmm. And I'm going to do my thing to the best of my ability, not because I have to prove it to somebody else, but because that's who I choose to be. Um, And also letting it be okay that you know, the best I can give is going to be different on different days. Um, I'm not going to impress anybody, everybody all the time. I don't need to. I'm just here to, I think, you know, being a sex educator is one of the things that I was put on this earth to do. So I'm going to do what I was put on this earth to do. Um, I think it's only one of the things I was put on this earth to do. I was also put on this earth to eat a lot of candy um, and watch <laughs> trash TV. And I will be doing that. Um, and be oh like my God. mom and like all these different things. Um, uh, but yeah. I'm like immediately going to tell my daughter that you said <laughs> <laughs> to be put on this earth to eat candy. And I also echo, I was here to watch trash TV because I love trash TV. Me too. I love that. But and I also will say like there, as I've gotten older, I kind of hate the word good. Yeah. I don't understand it. I don't know really what it means and I'm not really into it anymore. Cause it, it no. It, Get, yeah, I mean, we could go for hours on that alone, but but yeah, I'm with you. I'm like uh, I, my new story is I'm here. I'm I'm here. I'm queer, also black and a girl. Like get used to it. it whatever. Yeah. 
or don't what like yeah no that's great I'm just here to I'm I'm here to live my life that's what I'm here to do that's awesome well I just like totally love you and I love your role as a sex educator and just you know so many of us learn from you so just thank you so much for being who you are because you've just been like I don't know it's great you do really good things so I appreciate you a lot Oh, well, thank you. And this conversation has been a delight. And, you know, I think everybody is a person of inherent worth and has a place in this world. And I'm just, I feel so lucky and I'm privileged to get to meet so many of you and have conversations with people like you and connect with other sex educators and you know, and, and, and once again, I have like learned so much from this conversation. You've given me so many new things to think about and to ponder. So um, I'm going to go away and think about those things. Although I don't have any candy in my house, but I have cookies. Well, so there you go. I'm going to think about them and eat cookies. Uh, we have some muffins we just made. So I might Ooh. Go those. Well, nice. where can people find you first of all, like, cause I'm sure after this and we can put stuff in show notes, but for all of us auditory learners, Tell us yeah. how we can find you. Um, I'm super easy to find. So I am on Twitter and Instagram at Nadine Thornhill. I am on YouTube. My channel name is Nadine Thornhill. My website is NadineThornhill.com. And then if you just are interested in random things I've done, if you type Nadine Thornhill into Google, um, I'm like the first two solid pages of your search results. Um, and then the only thing that is not Nadine Thornhill is everybody curious, which is everybodycurious.ca if you want to see the episodes. Mm-hmm. And it really, mm-hmm. I am encouraging everyone to look at those because they're also great to watch with your children. Like as parents who want to help have more guided conversations, I think that's a great place to start is watch the videos. So it's, it's bomb. Um, and it. And my kid is in some of the episodes, but I am not allowed to tell you which kid is my kid. But my kid is one of those kids. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, my kid is real rad, um, especially in the episodes. I was so proud when uh, we were filming. And I was like, that's mine. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.